DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Omar. Thanks, Chris. Good to be back. We're exploring the lives of the popes in relation to their writings concerning Catholic social doctrine. Help us to understand the contribution made by Pope John XXIII. Here you have Pius XII, who came from a very very aristocratic family from the north of Italy, connected with the papacy for throughout the centuries, mm-hmm. compared to Angelo Roncalli, whose family were sharecroppers in Sotto il Monte, Italy, from a very poor family. One of, you know, was the fourth of 13 children, the, the first boy. They were remarkably different backgrounds, but both of them had this sense of the social doctrine that shows how wonderfully unifying the doctrine can be. And this great sense they had includes the sense of being small. A lot of people may have heard of that, that book by E.F. Schumacher, Small is Beautiful, from the 1970s. Joseph Pierce, the follow-up to that, Small is Still Beautiful, just recently. The two men, Pius XII and John XXIII, believed that being small is important, both spiritually but also economically and, and as we look at the social doctrine. It was Pius XII who began to sort of articulate this notion that just like you can have problems with big government, and big government and socialism and communism had been condemned clearly by Pius XI and Leo XIII, Pius XII said there can be problems with with big business as well. And so we have to be clear that when you have a big business, sometimes the the people the business serves aren't being taken into consideration as, as well as they ought to be. And so it's better for businesses to stay small, be connected to local communities, uh, in order to fulfill that principle of subsidiarity that Pius XI had introduced into this social doctrine. And then Pius XII says, and one way to help do this, to keep them small and connected, is by encouraging the workers to have a, a, a piece of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started to encourage worker-owned businesses so that you could avoid this whole question of unions and battling between management and labor and the divisions that are caused in such, such positions and, and situations Rather, the, the, the laborers and the owners are all working together in collaboration with each other for the betterment of their local community through the, the economics of business. John XXIII saw that in Pius XII, saw this teaching, which was kind of dispersed in various radio messages and mentioned here and there. It was kind of passed over by a great many people. But John XXIII saw the wisdom of it and the beauty of it and brought it forth so that when we get to his two great encyclicals, John XXIII had the first one, Mater et Magistra, Mother and Teacher, in 1961, and the second one, Pacim Interis, 1963, Peace on Earth. These two great social encyclicals, which are the two great encyclicals of his time. So here we have a pope 
whose only two great works were both on the social doctrine. Mm. John XXIII saw the wisdom of, of, of Pius XII and brought it forth in Mater Magistra and spends a good portion of it talking about the contribution of Pius XII. Would you say, Omar, that the contribution of John XXIII, that fruit from that pontificate, its seeds were actually then were first sown in the ground that got chewed up during that time of Pius XII. And I'm, of course, speaking of that horrific period of that led up to World War II and then following that with the Cold War. I mean, there was has there ever been a time that has affected so many countries, mm. so many peoples around the world as that particular era in which Pius XII served as pontiff? No, and I, that's a very good point because I think it, it, it draws out part of the uniqueness of John the, the 23rd's life. So uh, you have in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s this incredible turmoil that's going on in the world, of course, the Second World War. But even before then, you had the First World War, which, which had changed so much of the paradigm of the way people were looking at questions of the state and government and, and civic society and war and, and economics and the rest of it. John the 23rd's life during this time as as Father Monsignor, then Bishop Angelo Roncalli, uh, was one of, of a healer. He was somebody who brought people together. So that uh, by 1935, he's, he's made the apostolic delegate to Turkey. And during the persecutions of the Jews in Turkey, which was occupied by the Germany and had, had relations there, uh, he spent uh, so much of his time helping hide the underground Jewish resistance movement and save thousands of Jews at that time, which helped earn him the, the title of a, of a righteous Gentile from the Jewish people after the war. After his time as a delegate in Turkey, he became the apostolic nuncio to France. During the reign of Pope Pius XII, it was Pius XII who made him the nuncio there in 1944. And the reason he was chosen, the reason Angelo Roncalli was chosen for that was because there had been bishops in France under the Vichy government that had collaborated with Nazi Germany mm-hmm. uh, in, in deporting Jews. And so here was this huge wound in the church. And we know Pius XII is beautiful documents on the, on the mystical body, mystici corporis, mm-hmm. the mystical body of Christ. Here's a wound in the body of Christ. These bishops who had betrayed the very meaning of what being a shepherd is by handing over our spiritual brothers and sisters, the Jews, to the Nazis. So who else to bring in but this Andro Roncalli, who was already a healer? And, you know, before even he was, I should say, before he was even in Turkey, he was the spiritual director at the seminary there in his diocese. This was a deeply spiritual man, mm. Angelo Roncalli. So here's this healing man who comes in World War I. He was in the medical corps as a healer. He comes to Turkey as a healer. And he comes to France as a healer, as a nuncio, though, to heal the wounds of those poor bishops and the people there who had seen this betrayal. Uh, and the result was so phenomenal after the war was over He's named the Cardinal Archbishop of Venice uh, in 1953. The president of, of France, the French people loved him so much for all he had done to help heal them. The president of France decided to, uh, to take advantage of an ancient custom that had been belonged to the kings previously. And that was that when a cardinal is named to France, that it is the king's right to crown, to give the red hat to the cardinal. Well, the president of France said, I want to be able to do that, to show the love of the people of France for Angelo Roncalli, now Cardinal Roncalli. And so he was able to give the red hat to, to Angelo. So we see in this time of turmoil and pain and, and hatred, 
that was that was unprecedented in human history from World War II. We find this little figure, this little soul, this little man, this this lover of smallness, Angelo Roncalli, who becomes a cardinal and is and comes off as this grand healer for these people. Can we say that from that imagery you just gave us, this this one uh, man who honored the smallness, mm. that ultimately the smallest is the individual, mm. and that in honoring that. You, it ultimately comes down to the dignity of each human person. And at the heart of it, of his work, as well as the heart of the Catholic social doctrine, Catholic social teaching, that's what we find. Yes, and, and that's a very important point because, you, again, drawing from Pius XII, one of the things Pius XII, in, in, a, in a, a relatively obscure talk he gave to some Italian jurists and, and others in Rome, Pius XII laid out the principles of a good state, a good government. And he said the very, this was Pius XII, and he said one of the very first principles is the fundamental dignity of the human person. Prior to Pius XII, you will not find that kind of language being used. Remember that the church during the 19th century was terribly persecuted. A lot of the popes spent a lot of time, Pius IX and and Gregory XVI, defending the right of the church to be the sole religion of the state, etc., etc., but by the time you get to Pius XII, when we're talking about the role of the state, he says the, the first and fundamental thing he says is not allegiance to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not denying that. But understanding how the world has changed, Pius XII says let's, let's flip the emphasis, right, and, and understand if we're going to talk about the human person and start there, then we need to start with the fundamental dignity of the human person, which comes from our being created in the image and likeness of God. And then Pius XII appeals to the natural law. So here then we have John Twenty-Third coming forth, you know, seeing that in Pius XII's writings and saying, this is where we need to start. We mm-hmm. need to start with this fundamental human dignity so that when questions of population control bring up or are brought up, and he mentions this in Mater et Magistra, mm-hmm. uh, he says, hold on here. There's a fundamental dignity that needs to be maintained, and that's what I want. To, that's what the church wants to, to, to put forth. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Deacon Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. A teaching of St. Paul from his first letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts, but I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and comprehend all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I hand my body over so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 
If there are prophecies, they will be brought to nothing. If tongues, they will cease. If knowledge, it will be brought to nothing. For we know partially, and we prophesize partially. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I used to talk as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. At present, we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. At present, I know partially. Then I shall know fully, as I am fully known. So faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. We now return to Regnum Novum with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Let's talk about that first document that is brought forward for the church. Yes, Mater et Magistra, Mother and Teacher, uh, came out in 1961, and it was the English title is on Christianity and Social Progress. But later, the the, the church will drop the word progress because it, it has uh, such a uh, a bad connotation with regard to the Enlightenment and this notion that the men will always progress and always be better. 
uh, and it comes along with an ideology. But the notion that John the Twenty Third wants us to understand is that in order for society to progress into the higher realms and progress into justice and to progress into charity, it needs Christianity. Christianity has to be part of the, the larger picture. And so he says at the very beginning of the document, he says he's writing it, quote, to hold the world in an embrace of love, that men in every age should find in the church their own completeness and a higher order of living and their ultimate salvation. That, that the church is a mom. You know, she's a mm-hmm. mom and she's a teacher she goes around the world doing what moms do, cleaning things up and helping prepare us and, and, and showing us the right way and forming our consciences. And she does all of this not as a kind of stern mistress or as a kind of a overbearing uh, taskmaster. She does this from love. Mm-hmm. She does this as one who cares for us so that we can, be, can reach our, our fulfillment, human fulfillment, see the, the fullness of that dignity, which is our salvation. So he starts off with that right away. In the next few paragraphs and sections, he, he's summing up what's, what's happened. And you'll see this is a kind of pattern in the social teaching, that we, the, 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 the popes will look back on what had been written, you know, draw certain themes from Leo XIII to Pius XI, and then sort of put forward, so what's going on now? So John XXIII does the same thing. He talks about Pius XII and brings out some things that Pius XII had talked about, the technologies of nuclear war, for instance, uh, communication technologies, and the agricultural advances. And that's one thing that's very unique about John Twenty-Third. As a son of a farmer, you see agricultural issues being brought up in Matere Magistra uh, more so than they had been in any of the previous, and arguably in any of the, <laughs> the, the this foregoing uh, uh, social encyclicals. Mm-hmm. He also brings up the social factors that are in society, social security, there's more education these days, changes in policy, especially after uh, World War II and the collaboration of of various nations through the United Nations. Mm. Was it warmly received by the world? It was warmly received. Mater Magistra was an an effort and this this sort of new approach to the church. You know, it's 1961. The Second Mm -hmm. Vatican Council has already been announced as as coming. And John XXIII had already made a name for himself as somebody who kind of wanted to open up the church to the whole world. And so... uh, Offering them this teaching to the world as as a mom and as a teacher was was very well received. Uh, that's one of the things that's the, sort of the magic about uh, John the Twenty Third. When he became pope, he, he became the first pope since the eighteen hundreds, since eighteen seventy, who went out and did pastoral visits in his diocese. He he visited parishes to see and visit his people because he's the bishop of Rome. He visited the Bambino Gesù Hospital and the the, the, the sick children. Uh, he visited the prison, Regina Chaley Prison. He arrived there and he said, he said, because you could not come to me, I've come to you. He was a man who, who was deeply committed to this notion the church needs to go out, uh, which was this, this, the whole thrust of the Second Vatican Council. And the response from the world was, finally, so, someone who's willing to do that, someone who's willing to come to us, which is why he, he earned the nickname Johnny Walker, mm. <laughs> as somebody who would go out and meet with the people. Being warmly received by the world is one thing. What about within the church? Mm. John the Twenty Third was was named Pope to bide some time. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There was already a, a, a large section of the cardinals who had wanted to elect Cardinal Montini of Milan um, to be Pope. However, and he would be the future Pope Paul the uh, Sixth. However. Um, he was he was the Archbishop of Milan, but he hadn't been given he hadn't been named 
cardinal yet. And so Archbishop Montini was not at the consistory and so could not be named pope. And so people thought, well, let's let's make John let's make Johnny Walker the the mm-hmm. the pope, and uh, and he was very much viewed as kind of the stopgap pope. Uh, he was seventy seven years old, um, and they thought that he would be a, a sort of a good mollifier and wouldn't try to do or take on anything too big. Um, <laughs> to much to everybody's surprise, <laughs> right. then. Uh, when uh, he's at St. Paul outside the walls and he announces his intention to, to, to begin a, an ecumenical council, the first one since 1870, Pope Pius IX, mm-hmm. uh, only the second uh, in the last 500 years. And oh. so there were a great many people who were surprised, shocked, and even a little bit scandalized by the fact that he should take on something when he clearly was of such an age, when clearly he couldn't see it all the way through. But that was John Twenty-Third. He was somebody who simply trusted uh, and followed the Spirit, and as he went to bed every night, said, you know, Lord, this is your church, not mine. Uh, I'll let you I'll let you take care of it. So th- there was within the church then some concern. There was some confusion, which would, of course, later pan out after the council with the schism with the Society of St. Pius X and, and others who were convinced that John XXIII was some, some sort of uh, Marxist communist plan who, who wanted to destroy the church from within. In reality... John XXIII wanted to bring back some of that original uh, lust for life um, that we read in, in the early church fathers and, and in the early saints who could not be contained behind walls uh, and who needed to go out and preach the, the love of Christ. Is his legacy Vatican II, or is it something maybe a little d- even deeper than that? Um, I think certainly Vatican II is the, what you're going to find in the books. Um, he only oversaw one session of the Vatican Council, and there were four of them. So one could very much argue that it wasn't that that that's more of a, a part of the legacy of Pope Paul VI than it was of John XXIII. Certainly, the spirit, uh, the desire to be a pastoral council, the desire for aggiornamento, sort of updating in the Italian, was was part of his legacy. Uh, but I think there's something more, and I think when you look at something like he, when when from the time he was a teenager. Until he died, he kept a spiritual diary, called it, and he called it the Journal of a Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he modeled it off of his huge, great devotion for St. Therese of Lisieux, who has this little book, The Story of a Soul. And so he named his book The Journal of a Soul. Um, and he wanted to uh, relay uh, his spirituality of, um, of smallness. And so we see in Mater et Magistra at the end of it, um, his desire to emphasize a number of very key important things like um, this job of social change, this is the job of the laity. This is our job. This is what he's, he's inviting us to. Um, and so we have an obligation as a church to try to help form the laity, as you and I are doing here, Chris. Mm-hmm. But he says it's, it's a, the great obligation and so in paragraphs 240 and 241, and he talks about the layman's responsibility, he says, um, these then are the educational principles which must be put into effect. It is a task which belongs particularly to our sons, the laity, for it is their lot to live an active life in the world and organize themselves for the attainment of temporal ends. The lady must remember, too, that the lady must remember, too, that if in the transaction of their temporal affairs they take no account of those social principles which the Church teaches and which we now confirm, then they fail in their obligations 
and may easily violate the rights of others. Mm-hmm. We have, a, as part of, of our vocation as laity, and we talk about vocation, think about priests and sisters, we have a vocation too. The laity have a vocation. We have a calling. And John twenty third was trying to tell us that calling is very clear, to bring the social teaching into everywhere. There is no place. There is no place where Christ does not want to go and is up to us to bring him there, which was part of the message of the Second Vatican Council as well. But that's our obligation. This is 1961. And he goes on to talk about how do we do this? By performing everything, every small thing, every little work in the world in that spirit of Christian love, in that spirit of social progress from which we learn the, the, the social teaching. It, it is what John the Twenty Third begins to do for us, I think, is he starts to lay out a spirituality drawn from St. Therese of Lisieux, this little way, the little way of the flower, those little things done in love, begins to develop some of that so that we, as we look at how to live this out in the world, it's not just larger principles of subsidiarity and, and economics and just wage, but it comes down to the very uh, minutia of, of what we do as moms and as dads, mm-hmm. as, as workers, as, as uh, employees and employers. Um, it, it starts with that, those little things we do in love for our neighbor and in relationship with the rest of the church. How wonderful. Then the small becomes big. Yes, exactly. And the small changes everything else. It's the, it's the least who becomes the greatest. Um, that's the model, the mustard seed that really becomes the, the bush that allows the birds to come and feed and live. That, that, this, is the, this is the image of the gospel, and John the 23rd understood that beautifully. Mm. Any final thoughts on this particular, on this particular segment, on, on Blessed Pope John the 23rd? Well, sure. You just mentioned the fact that he's blessed. The church has recognized that he is one of the blessed ones, that he is someone we can pray to, and he's someone who models for us not just um, uh, you know, the principles the, the, that everybody associates with the social doctrine, but also a way to live. He was a man who went out to the people to be with them, to talk mm-hmm. to them, to love them, to hold their hands, to speak to them, and to understand where they were coming from. And that's as much a part of the social doctrine as anything else. Thank you so much, Omar. My pleasure. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts, I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.